Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right. Well, today we have a very special guest and I'm super psyched to have him on, but just want to talk to you, Albert, a little bit, catch up with you since our, our last ones and see how you're doing. At the moment, we're just having this incredibly loud windstorm. I'm not, I'm not sure if you could hear it, but it is very forbidding and ugly out at the moment. I mean, it's actually quite clear, but it's kind of scary amount of wind. It's one of those raw March days that you're just like, oh, it's March, it's sunny. And then you go outside and you're like, oh my God, I'm miserable. So yeah, <laughs> it's I'm I said, I got my coffee. We have two podcast uh, tapings coming mm-hmm. up. Two friends, uh, one that yeah, I really have never met and one that's one of my best friends. So it's going to be an interesting, interesting day. And uh, anyway, that's really basically it. You want to you dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, I definitely feel you on that weather. That was yesterday for us. Morning, sunny, and then mid-afternoon just started hailing like crazy. But we have uh, Christian Bringoff in here today and super stoked to have him. He was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. Now in his late 30s, he's been married for the last 12 years. Christian, with two daughters uh, to his wife, ages seven and nine. As his name suggests, he is a practicing Christian. Professionally, he has been in the mental health field for 15 plus years, and seven of those have been in private practice. Christian runs a group practice with two other colleagues where he is the clinical director and owner. Christian, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, uh, uh, seven a.m. Seattle time. So thank you. You you're uh, you're going going the extra mile for us. Yeah, just you know dealing with uh, early morning stuff and uh, coronavirus out here in Seattle. So uh. <laughs> yeah, I was watching I was watching uh, a little television this morning as I made my coffee, and every third word was Corona. It, it's at that level, unfortunately. But uh, we got to uh, stay calm and. Uh, Anyway, are you? I mean, are you feeling a day to day in your life out in Seattle? How how has it impacted you at this point? I mean, it's kind of a ghost town, honestly. Um, everywhere I drive, uh, it's it's pretty like tumbleweeds are going by. Uh, like toilet paper's gone, hand sanitizer's gone. Uh, people are trying to sell toilet paper for like <laughs> like fifty bucks a roll out here. It's 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 ridiculous. Well, for fifty bucks <laughs> a roll, you just use fifty dollars bills to wipe your butt. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was really kind of gross. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, that's ridiculous. Can I just say um, the, how we connected and why we thought yeah, of doing please. this? Yeah, please. Um, yeah. We are all in that denim community that we talk about. And uh, you guys actually were amongst the two, two early people that I, that I followed. And, and uh, you know, Christian's uh, feed is called Denim and Whiskey. And clearly looking at that, it's very popular. It's one, we've got a great, you know, big following. It's um, one of those feeds that you go by and just say, oh, my God, this guy has the life. He's uh, got great photos. They're very high quality <laughs> photos. Cre- you. you know, great collection of clothes and every other picture you're pouring yourself whiskey. So who wouldn't want that life? Uh, is there pressure to live up to that to that um, to that imaging of like, oh, my God, this dude just got it all together? You know, I think in the first several years of doing denim and whiskey, uh, you know, there wasn't uh, a lot of pressure. Uh, I think that I, but in the last year, I probably put more pressure on myself just to kind of maintain it. And uh, I mean, I, I think that when you reach a certain point on Instagram following where it's like, you know, you, I don't know, you get to 20,000, you get to 30,000. I, I mean, I don't know really where that threshold is for everybody, but um, you, you start to be, you're called an influencer, but I think you're more influenced by like your audience and you're influenced by the brands that you work with. And so like you, you, you continue to change yourself and do more so that like you can continue to grow and, uh, you can continue to, uh, uh, work with more brands. And so, um, you know, for me, I, uh, I think I've been more influenced than I have done influencing. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way to put it. Um, I remember early on what the way that you and I connected really was kind of in a humorous way. Uh, you were running a, a hair gel contest and I was like, I love <laughs> oh, yeah. gel so much. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to win this freaking hair gel. So I kept like, yeah, you, did. you, you and I was just working it. And you know, I, you, I know you didn't stack the deck, but you did, I did win the prize. So uh, amidst all that humor, 
I got to know you and and uh, I was so impressed because you're I mean we have some connections you're in an area known for apples I'm here in the Hudson Valley which is just got create you know got amazing apples Washington State clearly is like one of the great apple capitals so we connected on that front you mentioned uh, an apple orchard in your in your uh, in-law in-laws family and uh, as we talked you also mentioned what you do for a living which really just uh, impressed me and, and struck me that you are into in the mental health field. You, you, I just get it right. Uh, you're a licensed psychotherapist or clinical psychotherapist. And I know there's a lot of distinctions of psychologists, psychiatrists. You don't have to get into all of that. But what drew you into the mental health field? Tell us a little bit about your background. Is that something in your family? Is that something that you came to on your own? And and why did why did you, did you get drawn into it? Well, you know, I. Um... I think I love working with hurting people. And I think that, uh, mental health is one of those things where it's, it's fairly invisible. Um, well, no, it's not fairly invisible. It is invisible. Um, and there's a lot of people out there that with mental health issues, uh, that, you know, they're really, really hurting and, you know, but I'm also a person of faith too. And, you know, at one point, you know, I, I thought like, well, you know, maybe my role is to go be a pastor or something like that. And, Um, you know, and, and I, and I did, I did some youth pastoring in my early twenties and, um, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was a little bit limited in what I could do. Uh, so, uh, and also I wanted to make money. So, uh, (laughs) the, the pastoring gig, uh, just was very short lived. So I, I decided to go get my, uh, master's in counseling psychology and, um, and then spend, that took like three years, three and a half years, I think. And then I had to do like four years of postgraduate work um, and take a national test uh, to get my license. And then, you know, spend the next seven years building a practice. <sighs> Man, when I put it like that, that sounds like a lot of time. Uh, at any rate, I, I really wanted to help. I really wanted to help uh, hurting people. Um, and Pe- people who are hurting you don't want to hurt people. You, you want to help people who are hurting. I just want to get that. I hope I did. I just say that I wanted to hurt You people. sort of did. It's 7 a.m. Oh, okay. Seattle. So I just want to, I want to get you off okay, the hook my, on that one. My apologies. Uh, no, I wanted to help hurting people. And um, uh, I thought the best way that I could do that with my giftings, my talents was through uh, counseling. Uh, I, I know there's a lot of people out there that have other giftings and talents that can help people. Uh, I just felt like mine was more so in the realm of, uh, counseling. And, and I just thought psychology was really, really fascinating, really interesting. And that's something I gravitated towards. Uh, so, uh, I think that's ultimately what drew me, um, in, I wanted to show people grace, compassion, uh, kindness and, uh, and, and help them navigate, uh, just their invisible hurts, so to speak. Wow. Um, did, did you have very specific, uh, examples a personal or um, more community wise where you just saw individuals that um, were close to you that you said, Oh my God, I've witnessed very close up this, the impact of mental health issues, maybe ones that aren't, that are below the surface. And and, um, was it very personal or was it more broad? Like you just felt they were there in a more broad, broad sense. And and that drew you in. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, interestingly enough, I never had, too much experience with counseling myself. Um, I, I, I grew up in a working class family, kind of a poor working class family and, uh, you know, parents are still together, but, uh, they were definitely not without their issues. And, uh, growing up, I saw a lot of, uh, dysfunction. Um, I mean, they still love each other to this day, but I still saw a lot of dysfunction and, um, you know, I experienced, you know, some, what I would say now is anxiety and, uh, uh, you know, specific challenges relationally. And, uh, I never really went to counseling. I saw, I saw my father go to counseling, uh, but I didn't know what it was at the time. Um, and I didn't really know anybody else that went to, went to counseling or had any experience with it. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, it, it definitely wasn't something, uh, you know, back then that you would widely talk about. It wasn't anything that you would go like, oh, yeah, I'm going to counseling. Like today, you know, in in 2020, uh, there's a little bit, well, I would say actually there's a lot more freedom in being able to uh, say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to counseling. So, uh, you know, for me, I, I I didn't really have any prior experience with it. 
Um, and so, uh, I think that's, I think that's, that's a good question. I, I think it's interesting uh, that I didn't have any prior experience with it. Uh, and that's what, you know, it's where I ended up. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a, um, a hard thing to quantify because if you meet people and they talk to you openly and like, Oh, I, you know, I see a therapist or I, I go to a, a counselor of some sort, uh, you get that you can get the impression, Oh my God, you know, everybody's so much more comfortable talking about it. But at the same time, I, I do have a sense that it's still kind of a stigma thing where people are kind of like, you know, oh, really? Like, what's going on there? Uh, it's, you know, it'd be hard to really, really gauge just how comfortable really people really feel on that issue. I'm, I'm curious, um, is there a specialty over time? You've been in a, in a private practice, your own, your own uh, group of people that you work with. Is there a specialty of people? Do you focus on young people? Is it older people is it, do, do you find that, that certain types of people gravitate towards what you offer yeah i mean so uh being more faith-based in my counseling um i get a lot of people from local churches that come in and um there's there's kind of a uh uh i i don't know how much you know church experience either of you have but um from uh, th there's kind of this this prevalent notion within church that you know mental health is kind of this it's a sinful thing and um i don't agree with that and i think that's you know it, it's not that's not really a, a biblical approach to mental health and so for me being faith-based i i really like to try and enter into that conversation about like man geez what does it mean to have faith as well as like also wrestle and suffer from anxiety and depression because a lot of people um, within a church, they go um, to church and just kind of suffer in silence. And, 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 uh, and oftentimes this notion of like, well, you're, you know, you're more of a sinful human being because you have anxiety and depression. Uh, it, it ends up creating more anxiety and depression. And so I work with them quite a bit. Um, and I've started working a lot with pastors uh, to try and like, uh, change the way that they think about stuff because hopefully that would trickle down into the rest of their you know congregation um, but i also work with, a lot with uh uh boys and men um i'm a by state law in washington i'm a child mental health specialist so i work with a lot of children um but through doing that i always had kind of a heart and passion to work with uh, men because uh being one myself i feel like we've always kind of uh, lacked the uh, tools to be able to emote. Um, and I think we kind of just in general, I think we just kind of get pushed into the edges of emotional care. Nobody really, you know, thinks that we have too much emotional depth, you know? So like, uh, I, I really wanted to work with, with men on that part. Actually, when we asked, um, Adam and I asked you to, to send a couple of topics that you might want to talk about. You talked about this idea that that basically there's one one emotion that men are allowed to show or do show, and it's and, and it's anger. And I'm curious what, what you think is the driving the driving force. Why is that the case? Um, I mean, in short, I think it's because men don't know how to reflect, um, and you know. I hate the word more than anything, uh, processing. Cause that's what everybody like, I'm just processing stuff like, which is honestly, it's a BS term for like, I'm not actually doing anything with it. Um, but, but I think men, they don't reflect, um, or don't know how to reflect on what it is that they're actually feeling either presently or in the past. Um, and w what it generates more often than not, I think is anger because, uh, they, they grow up, uh, again, not knowing how to process anything of what they're feeling and, and, and how to even display, uh, proportional, proportional emotions. I, I they often more, so, so what, what happens is like they go from being stoic, uh, to being angry. And, uh, and, and, and the unfortunate part is the unfortunate part is, uh, Anger is about the only thing that people expect out of men, uh, but they also get in like big time trouble for that. So it's like men really aren't allowed to emote. Uh, and if if a man shows healthy EQ, uh, then he's he's considered to be weak or gay or 
you know, uh, and, and it's like, there's so, I mean, even amongst, even amongst male culture, that seems to be the case. And then, um, and, and then female culture, it, it's like, uh, you know, we're just kind of dismissed when it comes to, uh, emotional quotient. Yeah, I, um, totally agree with that. And the fact that you're saying like, it's, you know, processing and we don't have time to reflect, um, through some of the therapy that I've gone through, I found that, I kind of had this vicious cycle, um, which ended in anger. And that was started out with anxiety. And then I didn't do something or left it out, which led to depression, which then I was super sad. And then I got angry about it. And then I would express these emotions um, of anxiety and depression through anger. And I would just be mad and I would need to express my anger somehow. And that's how I got it out rather than you know, nipping it in the bud at, oh, I'm feeling anxious. Let's do something about it. Or, hey, I'm sad about this. Let's do something about it. I feel like with men, you know, we have all of these emotions that trickle down and, you know, what's like you said, expected or, you know, kind of agreed upon is that we're allowed to show anger. So we do. And I'm curious as, um, you know, you work with people you know, where do you find that they um, make the shift from other emotions to anger if they do at all? Yeah, wow, good question. Um, I, I, I think. I mean, I so I'll try. To, I'll do my best at answering. So if, sure. if I don't answer, uh, tell me I'm not answering it. Um, I, I think that most people, you know, uh, have anxiety in their life, and I think anxiety um, can. Uh, result in a number of different uh, behaviors, and 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 I think for men, when men have anxiety, it oftentimes results in anger, uh, and so and anxiety oftentimes is uh, there are biological reasons that somebody could have anxiety, you know, that are uncontrollable, uh, but I I think for the vast majority of of people, including you know especially men, uh, anxiety is oftentimes. Um, uh, trying to control something that is simply uncontrollable, and uh, and so so men want to. Uh, I'm sure that either of you have probably heard at different points in your life, like uh, you're a fixer or something like that, or you like to fix things, or even if you're not that good at fixing things, that's that word gets attributed uh, to you simply because you're a man. You know, like oh, you you just like you just want to fix, um, and so I think that you know uh, men are constantly. Uh, looking for uh, systems to try and understand stuff and uh, not to say women aren't either, but I think that's what men do. And so um, <clears throat> the, I think men try to understand their world through that kind of lens. And I think they, um, you know, run in, run into different walls. And so I, uh, because they don't know how to reflect because they don't know how to, uh, uh, uh know how to properly emote maybe because of some, you know, because of how they were raised, uh, they, uh, <clears throat> they get angry and, uh, you know, because they have that anxiety and they're like, what is this? How do I, I don't understand what I'm feeling. I'm just going to, ah, you know, I'm going to blow up. And, um, yeah. I don't know if I'm answering fully your question, but I think I'm getting at something there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the reasons Adam and I have been, you know, doing this and, and our basic premise to the podcast is just, if we kind of flex the communication muscle, if we just get used to it and have fun and, uh, talking to each other, even through, you know, some of the more difficult topics that the process of just communicating, it's like, there's no agenda, just the communication itself is an end, an end in itself. I'm just curious from your um, point of view when you're talking to your, uh, the people that come to you, is that a big part of what you tell them? Just finding people connecting with whether it's friends, family, uh, other, uh, you know, yourself as a therapist, as, as a therapist, is that communication in and of itself? Is that a, a major way to, to process and do all those things that you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean like part of, you know, if I'm prescriptive at all, um, well, okay. Yes, I am prescriptive, but, um, is I'm constantly telling people like you need to have supports. Um, and, and that's, you know, really more of a, a, a point like I put at men 
Like I have to hammer that point home with men uh, that they need to have uh, social supports because men typically tend to uh, isolate more. Uh, even if they have supports around them, they're, they're not going to tell other men exactly what it is that they're doing. Um, women, I don't have to tell that to uh, very much. In fact, what I have to tell women more often than not is like, maybe you don't need as many supports because oftentimes they, <laughs> they go and uh, like they talk to everybody and they get their issue is more that they don't know what to do because they, they end up talking with too many people. Whereas men um, just don't have anybody around them because um, they just, they feel weak uh, talking about anything that's personal in their lives uh, and they just don't have a rhythm of being able to talk about anything personal in life because that was never modeled for them. Um, and, and and that was never seen as a, uh, a particular uh, healthy, uh, particularly healthy thing. So, um, yeah. Well, another aspect of our show is building empathy. And before you were talking about being a fixer, and just, you know, if you hear something, okay, I got to fix this. Or, you know, your wife tells you something, you know, that she's feeling and you're like, okay, we'll do this and it'll fix it. Whereas, you know, when we try to build empathy, we want to have empathetic conversations and seek understanding. And, you know, when it comes to having these emotions that you don't understand, if you can seek understanding, then you can really, like you said, reflect um, when it comes to this fixer mentality, how do you combat that? Is empathy brought up in the conversation? Um, I mean, it, it, at some points it is. Um, I, uh, when I say like when I work with a, a, a couple, a, a man and a woman, um, you know, uh, oftentimes, and I hope I'm not being too circuitous here in this in this answer, but I'll uh, I think I'll try and get to that get to the, get to the answer. Um, but the uh, you know, oftentimes the, the, the couple will come in and, and, and they'll, you know, like, you know, what's the problem? You know, I'll, I'll ask them and, and it's like going to the eye doctor and you, you can, you can, you know, see the big E on the eye chart. You know, they always say like, well, we don't communicate well, well no duh, you know, like no couple communicates well. And, you know, uh, so, but for, for the woman, you know, she over communicates and for the man, he under communicates and, um, uh, but, but there's this, but there's this perspective that, um, at least for the man that like, uh, fixing is not a good thing. It's, it's, it's not a good thing. Um, especially when it comes to, uh, the relationship and in some ways it's not, but in other ways, it's like, it's a pretty, uh, like built in feature for the man's personality. Uh, and it's, so like when, when people come to my, my counseling office, I, I try to tell them like, Hey, I'm not here to change your personality. You know, like you, you have a built-in personality that's, that's yours. And so we're not, I'm not necessarily trying to change your personality and give you something completely new, but like, I do want to increase your functionality and that's different, um, in, in your life. Like, and that can be like socially, that can be, um, maybe within your faith that can be, uh, maybe within your career and, and, um, other aspects of your life. But, but for men, th there is an aspect of like, they, they, they want to fix. And I mean, again, women also want to fix as well, but not on the same level, um, as, as men do. And, um, I, I don't think that's some sort of gender bias. I think that's just kind of a factual thing. And, uh, I think that, uh, that can be a hindrance as much as it can be, um, uh, a good thing. And so what I try and teach men is how do you, um, appropriately utilize your desire to fix something, um, in the right context and not just constantly, uh, for lack of a better, uh, you know, illustration, use the same tool in the tool bag every single time. Like when you're going to put together, uh, a, uh, I don't know, build something, you can't just use a hammer for every single thing that you're doing. Uh, you have to know how to use the screwdriver or the WD-40 or the duct tape um, and when to use it and where to use it. And so uh, I, you know, pe men come, men oftentimes come to my office and they're like, well, I need more tools. 
And, uh, and I'm like, well, how about we figure out what tools you do have and let's figure out how you're using them before we give you any new tools. And, uh, you know, oftentimes the men have plenty of great tools, uh, and, and teaching them to have a different perspective on, Hey, you know, your fixing isn't all that bad. It's, it's just not, uh, but let's think of different ways in which you can, uh, utilize it as opposed to just always using the same, same tool every single time. So I hope, hopefully that's kind of getting at some of the core of your uh, question there. Yeah, no, it's a great perspective on how to use, you know, what you've been given. Uh, one topic that you kind of brought up was the, the bro and macho culture. And do you think that this is using the hammer 24 seven or, um, you know, how would you relate you know, what, what we're talking about here to that kind of culture and mentality. Yeah. I, so I was trying to, I I was trying to come up with a topic that I thought, uh, you know, that I, that I, I don't always encounter in my office, but, um, I, I, you know, kind of more on a subtle, uh, uh, there's more nuances to it that I, that I can see in my office. Um, and I've certainly encountered it in my personal life, but this, this bro culture, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's a better term for it, but, um, is like, I'm invincible, you know, I can do anything. I'm the dude of dudes, the, you know, the man of man or men or whatever. And, uh, like I'm the best I can do anything. And, uh, and that's really really honestly it's a harmful perspective uh you know not just to the not just to the man that has that perspective uh but also to the men that are being influenced or even around or in relationship to that man uh because that it's 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 not an invitation to uh look at emotional health it's it's an invitation honestly to ignore emotional health and to uh, uh shut it down uh, because in bro culture, uh, emotional health, mental health, that's woman stuff. That's woman stuff. It's, it's not, uh, uh, stuff that uh, a man should be dealing with. If you have emotions and you have feelings, um, well, you just don't have your shit together. You know, that's, that's what, uh, uh, bro culture is all about. And, 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 and it's, that's really just a kind of a toxic mentality, uh, that unfortunately, uh, continues to persist uh, amongst amongst men, and I, I I don't know that it's anything that's going to go away anytime soon, um, but but I see it being uh, detrimental and uh, harmful to men because uh, men again it's 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 the antithesis of being able to reflect. So I want to teach men how to reflect, and the bro culture is like no, don't reflect, just isolate more and pretend to be like this, uh, macho guy that's got it all together. And I mean, that's, it's just a dumb notion because nobody has it together. Like literally nobody has it together. Um, and like women are pretty open about not having it together. And so it's like, well, if women can be open about not having it together, maybe men can also be open about not having it together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it comes back to the same point is self-reflection. Now, as a father, um, you know, you, you have children to teach this to, and the way I see it going away, if we want to call that is by teaching our children and their children, teaching their children, positive and healthy habits. What do you think um, that you're doing to promote these healthy habits to your children? Um, well, I, first, I hope that I'm, I hope that I'm, you know, showing it, but, um, you know, with, with kiddos, uh, and I have two daughters and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that what I'm showing is that it's okay to have an emotional spectrum to yourself, that it's okay, like to have more than one, uh, feeling. And, uh, so like, I'm, I'm very, I'm. I'm very, I'm very mindful about not shaming my kids for, uh, being angry, um, or showing some of the more kind of difficult emotions to deal with, like sad or upset. Um, I don't want to do that because I don't want them to get in their head that 
they can't ever show those things. And, but what I, but, but where I make a distinction is I, I say like, Hey, I, you can be angry. You can be upset. You can do all those things. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, well, I'm not happy, but I'm, I'm okay with you doing that sort of stuff. But I want you to think about your responses. Cause like, I mean, being angry is being angry, but it's, it's like kind of the, what do you do with that at that point? You know, that's what I'm trying to teach them is like, we can't have, um, uh, this uncontrolled response when it comes to anger or, or we can't have this isolating response when it comes to sadness, you know, and, and we can't just always feel happy, you know? So I, I'm, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, that I'm modeling that and, and that they get to see that in real time. Uh, and so I try to be fairly transparent with them, not, not to a place where like I'm relying upon them for, uh, you know, emotional stability. Cause I think that kind of sets up a, a weird relationship with my kids, but I am, I do want them to see like, Oh, you know, you know, dad doesn't always have it together, but this is how he's responded. This is how he uh, reacts. This is how he um, kind of just moves through life. And so uh, my wife and I, you know, if we have an argument, I don't try to like, <laughs> Hey kids come out here. Mom and mom and dad are having an argument. I, I really want you to watch this. Uh, I don't try to do that or anything <laughs> like that, but, um, I, I, I definitely, I definitely don't, um, shy away from, Hey, I'm going to talk to mom about something. And, uh, you know, I get corrected a decent amount from, from my wife. And, and sometimes that's really hard because I don't agree with some of the things that she might be saying, even if they are actually really good. And, uh, and anyways, vice versa, and, and they get to see mom do the same thing. But uh, I'm I'm hopeful that simply being transparent and and not being afraid to kind of show the emotional spectrum is is going to trickle down to my kids, and they're going to be able to go, oh, you know, it's okay to have emotions because we saw that growing up. That's beautiful, man. You know, great things to to pass down to the other generation. Albert, it looks like you uh, had something to say on that as well. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking, um, recently on a post, you, um, suggested that maybe you wanted to, you know, your post is a lot about clothing and about alcohol. Uh, and you suggested that you want to talk a little bit more about personal stuff and it may be about your faith, maybe about, about your work. And I'm just curious what prompted that. Um, what pro I got the feeling and every, every once in a while, I kind of read between the lines of your posts and there's this this be the beauty of the photos and the whole thing. But at the same time, I'm feeling that there's uh, this other side that you, that might is going on and you're hinting at it. And then this post this week where you talked about, Hey, I might want to talk about these things more. What was going on there? Was there something that, that happened in the news that day? Was it something personal? It felt like something had pushed you to want to say something. And I, and I know it's a fine line because you realize people are coming to your feed and it's not just, it's not a diary. You know, yeah. mine is a little yeah. bit more like <laughs> confessional that way, but I'm just curious, what was, what was behind that post? Yeah, no, thanks for asking. That's a uh, good question. Um, I think for, for me, I, you know, I was doing a little bit of reflection um, on, on Instagram and just kind of the role that it's played in my life and, um, and, you know, the identity that it's kind of, I don't know, imposed upon me to a degree. Cause you know, I'm not denim and whiskey, though I am denim and whiskey. And, and so like all those photographs, you know, they, they communicate an image, you know, I don't necessarily live that way. I do wear all those clothes all the time. And I do have a decent amount of whiskey that I do drink. Uh, but I'm just not like, I'm not, I'm not living in a shack somewhere in a cabin, you know, <laughs> drinking whiskey and, you know, uh, opining about like the good old days or something like that. Is that the right word? Pine, maybe pining, opining. Anyway, um, pining away for or opining. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Bo both are suitable in certain circumstances. <laughs> uh, it, so you know, I it I've been doing this like near five years. Uh, the the constant photographs, and I, I originally did it because you know I'm poor, or I I mean you know, I was poor because I didn't make any money. And I saw all this like beautiful stuff that people was wearing and boots and all that. And, uh, and I was like, I had, I had heard, you know, like, Hey, how, you know, people were getting stuff on Instagram. Like, how does, 
how does that happen? You know, and, uh, and you know, I, I found out people just post pictures of themselves, you know, uh, you know, sitting somewhere. Uh, I mean, they gotta be good photos and, and brands just give them stuff. And I was like, well, shoot, I got a camera. Well, I should probably do that. And so what, what, uh, what kind of started out as more of like, Hey, you know, I don't have anything and this is a real tangible way for me to get stuff. Uh, and then it kind of like, it started out kind of like that. And it was just kind of a fun thing to do in general because, you know, I work in mental health, you know, I deal with people's trauma. I deal with people's, uh, uh, relational nuances and stuff that's just, I mean, it's just mentally exhausting. And I was like, I need some sort of outlet. And so at any rate, for four, four to five years now, I've been developing and creating content, you know, and the mind has started to get uh, a little fuzzy on uh, like, <laughs> how far do I go on this thing? And can I go on this thing for another four years? Uh, I mean, at what point is this house of cards going to come falling down? And, uh, you know, do people want to know more about, you know, denim and whiskey? And, you know, I'm like, there's, there's more to me. Like the, the person that people see online is like maybe 5% of my actual personality. Like who I am is more of who you're talking to right now. And, and so like, I think that's what kind of, uh, prompted some of those posts of like, Hey, I'm going to be more honest about, like, I'm going to share theological, psychological, social views and stuff like that. That's I, I'm going to, I'm going to do more of that. And actually I got a lot of support from people on those posts. They're like, yeah, that's awesome. Woo. Go ahead and do it. Um, <laughs> I, I lost a ton of followers because of that too. <laughs> really? Yeah. I'm, wow. I'm kind of surprised by that. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it is something that a lot of people face. I mean, I, I advise artists on their imaging and that's what I, that's what my day job as musician uh, working with musicians. And it is a really fine line. There's some of them are just pining, pining away to opine about politics. And they, um, I'll, I'll just remind them if you feel this is imperative, if this is a, an essential thing that you need to communicate, you might want to share your political views. But I will also tell you that there's the downside. Some of the presenters who get put on concerts don't really want to offend half their audience. Is probably a member of each of the parties. You know, there's no, there's no uh, a guarantee that you're not going to offend the wrong people. And and that's always, you know, it's it's funny. I'm a very open person, but I'm also very diplomatic. I really don't like, and I'm very nervous about expressing views. Like I, I don't, there's so many times I want to hit reply and tell someone, oh my God, you're such a jerk for supporting that political person. And we won't say his name, but then I'm like, just shut the hell up Al, because you don't want the trolling hate mail and all this other stuff. So it is a, it is a really fine line. And, and that's what the DM was invented for. That's kind of how I got to know you. Yeah. That's how I got to know you. I mean, I was just like, okay, maybe this dude doesn't want to know anything about me, but I remember just sending you a couple of things. And then before you knew it, we were starting to share, we were starting to share uh, aspects of our personalities that don't, you know, aren't clear from our, um, you know, from our feeds. And what I loved is we discovered that whole Apple moment. Like I'm, I'm in an Apple orchard in the Hudson Valley and you're with your beautiful camera and you take gorgeous pictures. I love your pictures. Um, and you're in, a, in an Apple orchard in Washington. And I'm like, we're having a bro moment. We're not even in, this is a good bro moment. This is like, we were, we, it was, a, it had a, a, a real beauty to it. And you know, I was just like, I was glad the same way I was with Adam, that you guys look like really cool, regular dudes. And, but you have all these wonderful layers and depth. And I really love that, that both of you, first of all, you're sharing it here. You're, you're, you're coming on the, on the show and, and sharing it. And Adam, Adam shares it every day. I don't know if you've noticed his feed lately, but He's yeah, he's really getting it out there every day. He's like, wow, Adam's being real positive and real. He ain't hiding it. This is not somebody hiding, hiding how he feels. Um, I it's about 40 minutes in. We try to keep these things in a everybody yells about the proper length of a podcast. But one other thing you wrote in your sort of couple of subjects we might want to talk about. This might be the, the more controversial one. Being a dad in a mom-centric culture. Um, wow. Is it a mom-centric culture? I, I do feel that way. Yeah. Um, and this has been more of a, a, a recent, uh, thought, uh, for me, I'm, I'm actually, 
apropos is that the right word it's it's appropriate i guess anywho uh that that i'm doing this podcast right now with you guys because i'm i'm preparing like mid-may to go on a break and i and you and i our you and i talked about that briefly but um i'm i'm gonna take kind of a mental health break from uh work uh and take three and a half months off and which means that i'm gonna be um a, a stay-at-home dad uh for my kids and i'm already a part-time stay-at-home dad uh so i i you know, share, I, I really literally share 50% of the load for like, you know, keeping up the house and uh, taking care of the kids with my wife. So it's not like I just go to work and my wife does everything and she goes to work. It's literally like, you know, both of us are doing 50% of the work in terms of like uh, divisional labor. And, um, but, but uh, I really got kind of the sense for, uh, you know, or this idea about being a dad, a mom centric culture when my wife was going to graduate school. Um, she, she spent a lot of time, um, working really, really hard, really proud of her, uh, getting her MBA. And, um, you know, there's a lot of late nights where I, in a lot of times where I just didn't see her all together. And, you know, I was on point for kids and then, you know, I'd have to go to my office and spend time counseling. So it's like two ships passing in the night. And, um, you know, every single time, uh, we would get together with people, you know, they, you know, she would get a lot of a lot of accolades and a lot of praise for being a, a mom, you know, and I would get, <laughs> I would get nothing and, uh, for being a dad. And I, I'd kind of like sit over here thinking to myself, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very vested in my kids. Um, and I'm very, uh, uh, present and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm not coming home like, like in the 1950s or something like that after a long, hard day's work, throwing a beer back and, you know, sitting in the recliner watching TV and the kids, you know, I don't have any interest in them. I'm not doing that. And, you know, so I, I, and plus I think that, um, fathers just in general, like in terms of media, in terms of television and movies and stuff like that are just, you know, they're, uh, depicted as dum-dums, you know, like they're just, they're just idiots. Like they, they can only function because of their, because of the mom, you know, because of the wife. And, and I'm like, that's, that's not really accurate, you know? Um, like a, a good mom, a good wife, you know, like I, I think can, um, like help, uh, out a dad, but like, I don't, I don't think that's entirely true that like men are, you know, fathers are dumb dumbs and just can't figure it out. So that, that's what, that's what I've, I've seen a lot, especially in my office. And uh, I think that's what, you know, what's kind of on my mind as of late, yeah, I can totally relate to that because uh, I do the laundry and the grocery shopping. And whenever I'm folding like kids' clothes or like folding my wife's clothes, I will get more strange looks than, oh, here's a guy doing nice things for his family. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, dude, what are you doing? You're like, are you some kind of perv like with these underwear? I'm just like, I, I have a wife and kids. Just folding man. clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is, this is normal life, man. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's totally this weird stereotype that like men can't do like certain things to their family because it's not like what we're supposed to do. And it's like I I want to do the laundry, I want to help my wife out, you know, I want to make sure that we're eating healthy for our family. That's those are the things that are important to me. So why are you giving me this strange look? Because I'm doing something to help my family. Oh my gosh, yes, yeah, like. And, and yeah, no, 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 I, 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 and, and, and what, what, what seems weird is, is that, uh, uh, women or wives, or I don't want to lump all women in there or anything like that, but, uh, maybe just culture, uh, will kind of penalize the guy that the dad that wants to do that, um, and, and, and not give him any recognition and then, and then say at the same time, well, where's all the dads? They're not showing up. And it's like, well, wait a second. There are dads that are showing up. There are dads that are like, you know, being stay at home and and doing more of like, you know, household tasks. So like, I don't know. In my mind, there just needs to be some more recognition that that's actually happening. Because, I mean, I wouldn't have known that about you, Adam. And I'm sure you wouldn't have known that about me if we hadn't said anything. So it's like, clearly men don't even know that it's happening. Um, So so I, I just wish there was a little bit more recognition on that end. Well, I have to say, um, I feel really blessed in that all of my male friends who have had kids are excellent dads. 
I'm just amazed. And I just love watching all you guys. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to start opening the can of worms of what was my dad like, or what were your dads like? But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think that lots of, lots of men really enjoy putting their stamp on, on fatherhood in their own way and not falling into the traps that, um, that their parents might've fallen into, you know, that night, like you, you mentioned the 1950s culture, um, it, that was really, that was a very, very strong role-playing type of culture in so many ways. You know, it was about gender, about race, et cetera. That was just very, very rigid role, uh, role-playing role that went on. And, and we do live in a more fluid uh, society now. And I think that's the big battle going on. You know, the, 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 that's the reason why fear is such a motivator in our culture, sadly, is just because people are feeling this shift and not quite sure where they're going to fit in, you know, is, is that man, uh, you know, in the new, in the new way that, that society is, is that new man going to feel up to the task? Are they going to be able to be sensitive and strong? Are they going to be? And so, you know, it's a big fight. It's a big fight for the soul of what kind of, what kind of culture that we're, we're going to have. And I think, um, you know, guys, guys like you and all my, you know, a lot of the, the men that I know, I'm just, I'm really impressed. I think, I think uh, you guys will lead the way. Maybe we're going to have to have the super dads award. We'll have to nominate you guys for the super dads award. Um, anyway, I, we kind of covered the, a lot of the stuff that we, that we touched on. Um, Adam, any, anything on uh, any bullet points left on your tote board or whatever clipboard, oh, whatever. Yeah, you I actually uh, do have one last question for you. Um, Albert and I are big bourbon drinkers. So, uh, I want to know your top three, let's say more obscure ones that we wouldn't find at, you know, the, the regular big three on there. So obscure bourbon. Oh man. Um, well, uh, let's see, uh, Albert, you're in upstate. Is that right? You're in Hudson right now. And Adam, you're where, where are you right now? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Shoot. Do I know anything in Pittsburgh? Okay. Um, well, I know that in, in New York, uh, one of my, it's becoming quickly one of my favorites. And Albert, you probably know what I'm going to mention um, is Taconic, uh, and I I want to say they're in the Hudson Valley. I they think, are in the Hudson right? Valley. They're about 40 minutes from my house. Yeah. So, oh wow, yeah, that's actually really close. Um, Taconic uh, Distillery. I think they're a fantastic uh, bourbon. Uh, I've shared it with a number of friends, and they just like their minds are blown. I was just looking at uh, what you can get them for. Uh, I mean. Albert, you can just drive to the distillery and probably pick it up. But I um, tell you, I just mentioned your name and they sent me a bottle. I was just like, damn, I love Christian even more. I'm going to get over there. And if you visit me in the Hudson Valley, we're going to go. I mean, the right, Taconic brother. Parkway is the parkway that I take to get out of New York City up, up to the Hudson Valley. So it's right, right on the money. I had no idea about the place until you tagged me in a post. Perfect. Perfect. I'm, I'm glad that you got their bourbon. I really am. And the gin's good too. Is it? Oh, I haven't yeah, had that Yeah, very one. good. Um, I, you know, my, it's, it's quickly my favorite. And this one is really, really hard. It's like probably my all time favorite at, the, at, at this point and probably won't change is uh, preservation distillery. You've probably seen a lot of posts uh, on that because I just, I, I can't get enough of them, but uh, they, they produce a bourbon called uh, very old St. Nick. Uh, and then they have a couple of other whiskeys called rare perfection. And I, I don't know, like, the very old St. Nick is just the bee's knees, man. It's not cheap either. And you can't find it really anywhere else other than the distillery. Maybe you can find it on the secondary market, but, um, is that in Kentucky? Am I making that up? Yeah, no, no, it's in Kentucky. It's in uh, Bardstown. It's, uh, I'm not sure which direction, but it's 45 minutes from, uh, Louisville. Yeah. That is serious bourbon. That is bourbon land. Yeah, dude. I do a lot of work with the orchestra there, and boy, oh boy, when you go out, people are jamming on the bourbon. Dude, when I was when I was down there just this uh, last March or wait, I'm in March. Wait, last January. There we go. Uh, everywhere I was in had a distillery. I mean, it's just like there's distilleries within distilleries. You know, that's like up here in Seattle, there's Starbucks within Starbucks, um, and uh, there's just a ton of distilleries down there. But so, Taconic uh, Preservation Distillery and really obscure man this is getting me on this one uh i don't know how much people know about Willet. 
I think I think within the bourbon and whiskey community, people know about Willet Distillery, but uh, I don't think outside of kind of that niche group, people don't people don't know it. So Willet Distillery is uh, it's W I L L E T is putting out some amazing. Uh, whiskey, and I think you can get them nationwide. I don't. I don't, I don't think that you can. I, I don't think that they're uh, relegated just to Bardstown, Kentucky. But the uh, ha, have either of you heard of Pappy Van Winkle? I remember sending you a T-shirt, dude. <laughs> yes, you did, Louisville, yes, because I saw. I'm like, this dude's got to have this T-shirt. <laughs> I, yes. So Pappy Van Winkle is uh, like a storied whiskey that, like, if you get your hands on some somehow. Uh, it's, it's going to be anywhere from a hundred to $200 a pour. And, uh, it's, it, I mean, it's just incredible whiskey. Look them up. Wikipedia has got some decent information on it, but at any rate, Willet distillery has their head distiller is Julian Van Winkle, who is, you know, part of the whole family of the Van Winkle family. Uh, and he does an amazing job with, uh, their whiskey. So Willet uh very old saint nick preservation distillery and taconic uh i would recommend well adam we'll have to uh, direct our business manager at uh, our show to reach out to those distilleries yeah <laughs> see if we might get a little uh, a little show sponsorship going here mm-hmm. heck yeah heck yeah <laughs> and then just real quick follow-up uh best bang for your buck uh bourbon Ooh, best bang for buck hmm Um, I would say Eagle Rare 10 or I think out, I think actually out where you guys are, you can get uh, Weller uh, Antique. And I think that mm. goes for about 35, maybe 40 bucks. Okay. And it's, it's an all weeded bourbon. It's amazing stuff. Right on. Well, I appreciate that. I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't really drink all too much, but I want to have a, a a nice one you know every once in a while so there you go. thank you there for you that go. yeah you're welcome <laughs> yeah i actually had the eagle last night actually oh, did I, you? On, I have i've got that on my bar cart and my woodford Boom. reserve i gotta throw yes. in a little local plug yeah you um, do. i love my woodford good stuff all right well christian it has been a pleasure having you on here so i just want to wrap it up this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Christian Brinkball. Thank you for listening. <laughs>